I don't know how many people who are Christians that write steamy, explicit romance like I do. That may be the part that raises people's hackles. Has your life, your dreams been interrupted? Good news. It is possible to reinvent our lives. People are doing it every day, and some are brave enough to share the struggles, disappointments, and challenges. If you are looking for a new beginning, a do-over, or to rediscover your passion, maybe even find a new one, then grab a cup of coffee and let's talk. Interrupted, Act 2, Reinventing Your Legacy, with your host, Coach Lori. You are hearing stories from people whose lives have been interrupted, and yet, They're using their stories to help others. Have you ever thought of using your story to help others by writing a book or creating a podcast? Well, then you're in the right place. Go to www.coachlaurie.com for all the details. Christina Braver is an author of steamy romance novels. I am so excited to talk to you and hear your story. We're going to get right to it. Tell us what you do and what you love about your life. I am a romance writer. I write steamy contemporary small town romance. I've been doing it since 2020, although I've read romance forever. With the pandemic, like so many people, I was laid off from my job in tech, healthcare technology. I decided I do better with not helicoptering my family. And so my husband said, hey, you read a million of these things. You're smart. You're a good writer. Why don't you write one? I did. I've been writing and I love it. It's my happy place. What do you love about it? The surprise. When you're writing and you're involved in these characters and you're in their world, there is a little bit of magic there. I've heard other writers say, my character talk to me or my I would be writing a scene and my characters didn't want the scene to go that way so they went a different way and Stephen King in his craft book on how to write he calls them his boys in the basement that is his mind that works on the stories while he's sleeping so he'll if he's got a problem with a story he'll think about it before he goes to sleep he'll go to sleep He'll wake up in the morning and write down just stream of consciousness, everything that he thought. And he calls that his boys in the basement and it's his mind kind of working it out. But I think that's the surprise. I have had that experience. I was taking the chapter in a direction and my characters just did not want to go there. And I ended up writing the chapter in an entirely different way. That's been the surprise. What I love about it. Of course, there's the component of it that my children, my youngest is 16, driving, fiercely independent young woman. My oldest is 20. My husband still works full-time. This is mine. This is not Christina, who's the mom, or Christina, who's the wife. This is mine. I make it or break it, for better or worse. I make it or break it, but this is mine, and I think that's what I really love about it. Because of the content of my books, I feel very led to do this work. There's magic. That's awesome. Let's go back, because you said you just started this in 2020, so you know not everybody had like a horrible life before they were interrupted, but what was your life like? and what brought you to this place? couple of things. Let's be honest. My life is great. I live in a home. I know where my next meal is coming from. I am safe. I can leave a door unlocked and not really worry about it. My husband and I love each other. My children are, for the most part, healthy. And my life has, has always been great. So I want to get put that out there first. But, I mean, just like everybody else, I have the challenges. I have always been a very anxious person. I think To a certain extent, being raised in the southeastern United States anywhere, but I was raised in the southeastern United States, so I know tons of pressure put on women, not just to be successful. In fact, in my upbringing, it was made very clear to me. Culturally, what's expected of me is to be a good wife and a good mother and a good woman. And if you want to work, 
that's bonus. You need to prepare good meals for your family. You need to be healthy and organic. And then, oh, by the way, you need to be pretty and thin and have healthy hair and have the right makeup and have the right clothes and they need to fit right and you should work out. There was just all this that women face. I grew up with all of that expectation as so many of us had, and it really festered into anxiety. And I had sort of a breakthrough, breakdown, however you want to phrase it, in 2017. And I sort of realized my life is not working. My life just wasn't working the way that I was living it. Something had to change. Something had to give. That sort of started me on this journey of asking God, higher power, universe, what am I supposed to be doing for me? You know, my children were getting older. My son was having challenges and my daughter was having challenges and I could not fix them. And I felt so helpless in that, that as a mom, I was, I felt like I was failing. I do all this work around. You're not failing. I'm a good mom. I'm doing the best I can. Being a mom, being a wife, making good meals, being successful in a career, being whatever size I am and however I look, that was the best I could do. And I didn't feel like it was enough. It wasn't feeding my soul or my heart. I did some work, did some thinking, did some some praying, if you will. When COVID happened, the pandemic happened, and I had that job change, it just felt like an opportunity fell in my lap. My husband, who is wonderfully supportive, I was at a dinner with some friends, and they asked me if I had any sponsors. And I looked across the table, and I said, actually, I have a very generous sponsor, as I pointed to my husband. He was so supportive, and he said, what do you want to do with your time? You have all this time. What do you want to do with it? And I wanted to read romance a lot. That's basically Basically, that was my happy place. It was everything worked out in the end. That was my happy place. And he said, well, why, you're smart. Why don't you write one? So that started down this road. What my life was like before was very much like so many women who were on the treadmill. We're trying to get our kids to have, get the best grades they can and have the school activities and have friends, but not too many friends and boyfriends or girlfriends, but the right boyfriends. You worry about all these things and you worry about getting older and just all those things pile on. That was my life before. For, and that's not my life now. <laughs> I love it that you are a Christian who writes romance because in a way, I think that will raise some hackles. But mm -hmm. some things I've observed, sometimes I feel like romance is kind of the first to go when family, all those things you were talking about when family hits. And then second, I've been a single woman for over 20 years and I made the choice while my kids were young to not date because I didn't want to put them through anything else. So that was a, that was a choice. But then I'm a Hallmark fan. So when you said mm -hmm. small town romance, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I kind of keep waiting for that thing to happen. I don't really go looking for it because I'm really happy in my life, but I don't know. Maybe every woman really wants some romance. You had talked about some of the work that you do is to kind of undo some of the things that are, are done with the, the purity culture. Do you want to talk about that? There's lots of people who write Christian romance. I don't know how many people who are Christians that write steamy, explicit romance like I do. That may be the part that raises people's hackles. So I must say that my church, where I go to church, they're my biggest fans. So many people in the congregation are my biggest fans. Some have read my books and some have said, not my thing, but you're a good writer. And then others in my congregation have said, I love this. When's the next one coming out? There's that component. There are women who want romance and you have this meet your partner, your lifelong love or your love for now. And then you have kids, mortgage, and you have a job. All of the, what I call the fleshy underbelly of life sort of comes to the top. And 
the romance tends to take a back seat because it takes work now. It, it isn't just that fluttery feeling in your stomach that comes along. One of the things I love about reading romance is I get to fall in love every time I read a romance novel. I get to experience that fluttery feeling in some sort of way. Lisa Crone is a, she's a neuropsychologist, I think, or a neurologist, something with the brain. She wrote a book called Story Genius, and she also wrote a book called Wired for Story about our brains and the process of writing. And she talked about how when we are reading or watching something, our brain thinks we're experiencing it. And how you can test this is go to a scary movie and go down to the front of the movie theater and turn around and look at all the people and the people with that are with their knees up against and their defense mechanisms up and their eyes wide. They are sitting in a movie theater in some suburban city where there's very little pressure or problem and no one is actually attacking them, but they feel it. Your body thinks that you are. And it's the same thing with reading. They've done MRIs and studies that show that our brain lights up in similar ways when we're actually doing something or when we're reading about it. That experience of reading romance and falling in love is actually real. I don't know why everybody doesn't read more romance, but I love it. And I think it's cathartic and great. Around purity cultures, again, I was raised in the Southeastern United States. I grew up in the 80s. I was before what was called the purity culture movement officially. But of course, I grew up in a situation where I was supposed to remain a virgin until I was married. And I never really got a lot of information. I I wasn't really talked to, certainly not at church, and very rarely at home. I got a lot of my information about sex from what I could glean from books, from reading romance novels, and and that day, for better or for worse, what I could glean, glean from nonfiction. And that didn't paint a great picture. And the picture that it painted is women shouldn't like sex, shouldn't really want it or enjoy it. It was something that we were required to do in our marriage to keep our husbands happy. My husband strays. It's because I wasn't pleasing him at home. All that sort of responsibility falls on the woman. That's kind of part of the general culture. It wasn't that necessarily my family was bad. My parents were like everybody else's parents. It was just part of the culture that this is what we were taught. Women stay a virgin. This is your purity. This is your gift. I did grow up in that. And so I've always sort of been interested in that idea because that did not fit me as a as a young woman, as a young Christian. That did not fit. It could be argued that I read the Bible so much as a youth because I was looking for a loophole to the rhetoric that I was hearing from the world, the feelings that were happening inside my body and the things that I naturally yearned for and wanted. Better or for worse, that happened. I've always been interested in particularly women and sexuality, cisgender, heterosexual women, which it's not something that gets a lot of attention in the world right now or really ever. It's sort of been just the way things are. All of the writing about women and sex has usually historically been about cisgender women, you know, heterosexual women. And so we have this idea and we don't think we need to challenge what that idea is, but I do think we need to challenge what that idea is. So I've always been interested in looking at sexuality and women. Purity culture is a movement that started in the 90s, officially started in the 90s with a couple of books. Mostly it came out of response to the AIDS crisis of the 80s. Attitudes towards sexuality in the world, but particularly in the United States, has swung back and forth for generations, for centuries, really from really conservative to really progressive and back again. The AIDS crisis of the 80s really created a huge amount of fear around sex. In the 90s, what kind of came out of that fear was purity culture in an effort to control sex in a way to deal with that fear, to handle that fear was if I can control sex, what happened, I don't have to be afraid of it. It's a lot of pressure to control. The movement really emphasized 
women and women being the ones who were in charge of the purity. The purity movement has even claimed that men were God-ordained to want sex and women were God-ordained to not want sex. Therefore, it was easier for the woman to say no. It was the woman's responsibility to say no. If the couple did have sex, it would be the responsibility of the woman. It would be the fault of the woman and the blame would fall on the woman. And, and I read stories of boyfriends who blamed their girlfriends it publicly that it's this idea that women have to control the way they look and dress so they're not too tempting to these men and on the flip side it paints such a negative picture of men coach Lori here i am not anti-aging i am all about aging gracefully did you know we stop making collagen at a certain age and did you know powdered collagen has to go through your whole digestive system. So I am a big fan of Glow Liquid Collagen. It helps me age gracefully, inside and out. To order, check the link below. By the way, if you order two at the same time, free shipping. Or if you would like to be an affiliate, make a little extra cash, click the affiliate link. On the flip side, it paints such a negative picture of men that they can't control themselves sexually, sex, is all that they really want. That's not what our men are like. I, I will not believe that that is what our men are like. I'm sure there are some men out there who say, yep, that's me. But I won't say that that's what all men are like. The purity culture really did a disservice to women and to men as a function of these women and men growing up, getting older, going into therapy. Some were divorced. Some were, some women were going in and saying, I've never had an orgasm. I don't know what that feels like. I don't know how to make that happen in my body. And they would go to therapists and, and unpack a lot of this trauma that they experienced under that sexual shame, any type of sexual shame culture. Purity culture is one component, but there are other, and that's largely in the evangelical church, Christian church, the evangelical Christian church, but there are other religions that promote this idea of sexual purity and sexual shame. I've always been interested in it and coupled with my love of romance and falling in love. It was a natural, it's just been a, a natural progression that the books that I would write would be about women empowered sexually, not just in a power like I'm going to control and I'm going to dominate. That's not necessarily what it is. It's I'm empowered to enjoy sex. If something's not working for me to ask for something to change, that's what most of all of my books include women who are empowered and ready to embrace and enjoy sex. Are your characters necessarily Christian or is that addressed? It's not specifically called out. I do that on purpose mostly because I want everyone to be able to see themselves inside my characters. And I, I don't want to say my character is a Christian because your idea of what a Christian is and my idea of what a Christian is could be very different. Those ideas could be very different. I don't want a reader's preconceived notion about what a Christian is to impose on this character that I've written. So I don't hit it over the head. So in my most recently released book, Your Turn, I do talk about her going to church. I don't know that I actually use the word Christian, but I do talk about her going to church. I have hinted at Sundays being a, for example, family dinner happens on Sundays, or the place where they work out is not as crowded on Sunday mornings. I've hinted at, at some things like that around what we would call, what we'd stereotypically think of Christian, but I don't, I don't actually call it out. So you have three 
in a series and then one standalone? I actually have four in a series and one standalone. The first three books are really a, sort of an entity of their own. There's two brothers and a sister, and their stories are in the first three books. And then the most recent book that I released is actually the fourth book in the series, but it is the first book of three books that will be about their friends. There's a little bit of a break there, but not really. They are, it's best experience to read them in order because you find out about other characters as you move through the series, but they are standalones. They could be read independently, but there might be a secret. There's a secret about some characters in the first couple books or in the fourth book that secret is revealed. You could read them, but you could absolutely read them out of order. But yes, four books. And then I have one standalone called Formula One Noel. That one is, it's what's called a related standalone. Part of it happens in the world and you run into the characters that you know from the other books, but nothing changes in those original characters' lives. If you don't read the standalone, you're not missing anything except for just a really great book, but you're not missing anything in the process and development of the characters. But Formula One Noel is one that I'm really proud of that book because there are side characters that promote sex after 60. I just love that book. And it has inspired me to, I do have plans down the road. I will be writing a steamy open door romance with characters who are in their 60s. And I'm setting up that book actually in some of the stories that I'm writing right now. And I'm so excited to write that book because I think there is culturally in this world, this idea that people in their 50s and 60s, 70s, 80s don't have sex. And that's not true or are not capable of having sex. And that's not true. It may not be the gymnastics that you might have, it might not be the way you had sex when you were 20 or 30 or 40, but some of the most romantic and steamiest, really, some pretty steamy stories that I've read in the nonfiction books as I study, that I that I read and study uh, from sex therapists. Some of those people are in their 60s and 70s. Some of these men, they know what they're doing. <laughs> By the time they get there, they get it. Biologically, women and men, and I, I talk a lot about heterosexual sex because that's what I am and that's what I understand, but I try to use inclusive language as much as possible. People who are biologically women have a lot of estrogen in, and progesterone in their 20s and 30s. Biologically men, they have a lot of testosterone in their 20s and 30s. And as those two groups of people get older, the men have less testosterone and a little bit more of the estrogen progesterone in their brain and vice versa for women. They have a little bit more testosterone and a little less estrogen progesterone. Men and women who are older, scientists, other researchers and studies have claimed that you are hormonally a little bit more on the same level, biologically can be a connection. The reason that women and men, people later in life can enjoy sex. You don't have to be 20 or 30. It might look different, but sex is very much for people later in life as well. And very healthy, very healthy. That goes along with this podcast. It's like so often people get to a certain age and they feel like they've missed out on life, they've missed out on jobs, they've missed out on dreams and even relationships and sex and that age doesn't have to be the end. So I love it. I love it that you're going to be pursuing that. There are some books out there that are steamy. There is a what's called a later in life subgenre for romance. Now, what some people call later in life and what other people call later in life might be different. But there is a subgenre later in life, and some of the books are very steamy. I have talked to some writers who write later in life, and, and I said, oh, you know, have you ever written an open door? And, and they were like, no, no. <laughs> you know, like that other people wouldn't want to read about the bodies and the movements of people who are in their 60s that are having sex. I don't think that's true. I'm definitely going to be putting one out there. But there's some of the books that I've read that are quote unquote later in life, the people are in their 40s and 50s, which is certainly different than 20, 
But I'd like to see some books out there for people in their 50s and 60s because there are those people and they are absolutely having satisfying, loving, joy-filled sex, either with a long-term partner or a one-night stand. I say in your turn, there's a lot, there's a couple of women in the books, Miss Nat and Miss Nell. I will not give away too much of their secret. There is a line where someone says, Nicole is processing, should I be a virgin when I get married? And I believe it's Miss Natalie says to her, it's not only young people contemplating sex outside of marriage. There's a lot of older people who have lost their spouse, have lost their lifelong love, but they're not ready to give up on that, the sexuality that's inside them and those feelings that they have and that part of their life. They're not ready to give that up, that companionship, that connection of being skin to skin with someone, but they're not ready to get married to someone else. As you get older, marriage can impact financially your plans. We live in a called a community property state here in Washington. And as soon as I marry someone, everything that I have, half of it is theirs. That can be a financial impact on people who are, are now trying to plan for their futures. There's people that are in their 50s and 60s that are out there having sex outside of marriage, but nobody talks about that. We just talk about the young people shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. So do we really not like sex outside of marriage or do we just not like sex outside of marriage with young people? Opens up that whole question of really what do we as a culture have a problem with? But I just thought that was such a great thing to recognize that there are plenty of sexually active older adults. This is so refreshing because I do feel like we just don't talk about this kind of thing enough. Like I've had friends say after they're divorced or widowed, They'll go on a date and date someone for a while. And the first thing their Christian friends say is like, well, are you sleeping together? I love what you said about it's not just the young people that are considering sex outside of marriage. What is it you really want people to know? That sex is a good thing for women and men. It should be enjoyed. It is. I say this to my children. Sex is special and different for a reason, and it should be honored in that way. But it's also fun and wonderful and a gift. The tagline for your turn is sex is a wonderful, complicated, desperate, exasperating gift. It's all these things wrapped into one. And I want people to not forget the wonderful, joyous experience that sex can be. And that sex is not just one thing. There's many definitions of sexual behavior. It's between you and your partner. I want the world to know that sex is not bad. I love it. And what are you reading? This is a nonfiction book. It's called On Our Best Behavior, The Seven Deadly Sins and the Price Women Pay to Be Good by Elise Lohenen. Last name is spelled L-O-E-H-N-E-N. I like the concept of this book. The seven deadly sins are not actually from the Bible. Those were created after. They're not in the Bible. If you look for them, you will not find them. You will find the Beatitudes, which are all the things that were that are good. You won't necessarily find all these seven deadly sins. There's a lot of research, anthropologists, biologists, historians. There's a lot of research on the, where these seven deadly sins came from and how they have historically impacted women in a very oppressive way and men too. I think by transitive, when you oppress women, you oppress men too. And then I'm sort of knee deep in what's in the True North series by Serena Bowen, just finished Get a Life Chloe Brown by Tally Hibbert. Christina, this has been so awesome. I am so excited to read your books. I usually read them before, but I found you and you said yes. Why don't you tell us the names in the series? Formula One Noel is a Christmas book. All my books can be found on Amazon and in Kindle Unlimited. First book in this series is called Your Two Lips. The small town that these books are set in is called Perry Harbor, which is a made-up town. Don't try to find it on a map. You won't find it. 
but it is loosely based on the city of Anacortes, Washington, which is up in the San Juan Islands. It has a little bit of Mount Vernon, Washington thrown in it because Finn is a tulip farmer. It's called Your Tulips, and he's a tulip farmer. The second book is Finn's brother, Lucas, and Joe. Lucas is a playboy, and Joe is a sassy chef who kind of puts him in his place. She doesn't really tolerate a lot of his nonsense. Book two is called Your Sweetness, and book three is called Your Heart, and that's about their younger sister, Tess, who is stunningly beautiful and very shy and introverted. She gets a lot of attention that she doesn't want. She's had things happen to her because she is so beautiful that limit her. That's her story. And then the fourth book is called Your Turn, and that is about Nicole and Reese, and Nicole is shame culture survivor. And Reese also has his own issues around sexual shame. They work together to find their way to an HEA. And then my standalone is Formula One Noel, and currently I'm writing, don't hold me to this, but I believe I'm going to call it Your One, which is book five. The heroine in this book is Angela, and she's a foil to Nicole. Angela is very sexually empowered, but that also comes with some costs and feedback in our cultures. I'm looking at that experience as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, it was such an honor, such a pleasure to be here. I really do appreciate the invitation. Thank you. So I love to talk about this stuff. I will talk to anybody who will stand still and listen. I love it. Do you have brain fog? Are you exhausted all the time? Do you struggle with depression? How about cravings? Imagine an enzyme that turns sugar into fiber. For a link to order your bottle, email me at lacoach at comcast.net. That's L-A-C-O-A-C-H at comcast.net. Three things we learn from Christina. Romance is alive and well. Sex can be fun and it's not a dirty word. And even Christians write steamy romance novels. If you love this podcast, here's a big ask. Will you share with your friends and family? Subscribe, give us a review, and a five-star rating so that others looking to reinvent their lives will be able to get the help they're looking for. Thank you in advance.